0: back to Yes, X or No Audio. Hello, Carmudgeonly community. If it sounds like I'm in a good mood, it's because I am. I'm back in a great southern land and enjoying myself no end. So, we are not going to wander off the range, as per last week, but stick with the script. So, there were... Uh, two articles. I know it only looks like one because you only got notified by one, but that's because Substack's a bit weird now and then. So there were two articles, and I will reserve the one which most of you weren't notified of. That's called Realizations on Two Fronts. The other article was Ukraine Derangement Syndrome, which, go have a look at it. It's just my usual, here's a whole lot of stuff going on with you know commentary from here and there and a lot of uh, general updates from anti-war so go check that out if you want to but so on to the usual script here are some other headlines first from anti-war and then i'm going to move on to other commentary so from anti-war we have blinken dismisses calls for a ceasefire says u.s must build up ukraine's military and i have to be honest i didn't even read the article the summary is, you know the title is brilliant so thank you very much in this case kyle uh anzalone from anti-war so it just repeats the same script, and there's um, there's a video somewhere of uh, blinking lights just repeating the same script again and again. It's getting a bit boring, actually. Um, there's another one which was a U.S. and Taiwan sign first trade agreement under new initiative, angering China, by Dr. Camp from Eddie War, uh, and there. Are, this is another of several things which China has become angered by. Because not because of the trade deal or whatever the other thing was, it's because people are entering deals and treating Taiwan as a nation. This is furthering the hassle that they have because they want to claim Taiwan as their own territory. It's not a nation. It shouldn't become a nation. It's a province of China. That's the one China policy, etc., etc. So China are a bit pissed with this. And there are differing views on that. Uh, I am a little partial to both sides. I sort of think that essentially if Taiwan wants to become an independent nation, then, well, fine and dandy, but it needs to come into a carefully thought out, negotiated, long-term mutual security alliance with China because China will not put up with it being an independent nation and allied with other Countries in just the same way as Russia will not have the same happen with Ukraine. So it's the same story again. Moving along, our free speech warrior uh, Musk uh, has his SpaceX being given the latest Pentagon contract for Starlink terminals to be used in the Ukraine conflict. So Mr. Free Speech is also supporting the war aims of Ukraine. Well, yes, but afterwards, when the conflict's all finished, then they'll be just serving the people, and isn't that good? Yeah, okay. Anyway, take your own pot shot at Musk. The last item here is really interesting. So the title is Mexican TV spots anti-tank missile launcher that has been sent to Ukraine in hands of cartel. And if you're ever a little unsure about where the... 70% of the equipment that didn't reach the front line, according to the CBS documentary that was hastily withdrawn. Uh, Yeah, the black market's one of them. And hallelujah, brother, (laughs) you've got missile launchers ending up, not in Ukraine, but in Mexico, in the hands of the drug cartels. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that wraps up the anti-war headlines. Now we move on to other items of interest. The first is by Gilbert Doctorow, who hasn't featured for a while. And he published an article entitled Advertisement in New York Times. Quote, the US should be a force for peace in the world. It was a very interesting article because he notes that he assumes that the organization that paid for this full-page ad in the New York Times was paying a going rate, which is $100,000 to $150,000 for this big advertisement. And it was placed by the Eisenhower Network, or Eisenhower Media Network. And they first came onto my radar about a year and a half ago when anti-war activist Danny Scherson, who's a former major of the U.S. Army, I'm fairly certain it's Army and not Marines, and he served, I think, two tours in Afghanistan, or one in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. And he became an anti-war vet afterwards, and really well-spoken, and there's a whole bunch of interviews you can find from about a year to a year and a half ago with him. Uh, so that was when, and I found out he was part of the Eisenhower Network and so forth, and so that was where they came onto the radar. So they put this ad, big full-page ad in the New York Times, and Sherson published a book which was really well-reviewed by a bunch of people in which he makes the, the distinguishment between a sort of nationalism and patriotism. And this echoes the sorts of lines that you hear from people like the, many of the ex-CIA people, particularly McGovern, where they talk about the fact that I swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the U.S., not any political leadership. It's the Constitution that matters. And so the book echoes these sorts of themes. So patriotism is about a commitment to the ideals of the United States of America, and it's not about any particular political ideology at the moment. So that was interesting. Uh, we haven't seen much from uh, Mr Doctor R for a while, although he turns up later in the, in the video section. The next piece is by Vishay Prashad from the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research, which is a fascinating organization. And he's a, uh, I love reading his work. He's a trained historian, writes beautifully and is very, very well cited. And he includes graphic art in his articles, much as I include music, culture sections at the end. His thing is graphic art. Um, which really add a lot to the pieces he produces. Anyway, this piece itself is titled The Vassal. Well, it was retitled by Consortium News, who republished it from the Tricontinental Institute's newsletter. And the republishing title is The Vassalage at the Heart of the G7. And what the article is, is a revisitation of the foundations of the modern American colonial practice following the end of the Second World War and looking at what happened in Europe and particularly Germany and then Japan and looking at the structures that were set up then uh, and then looking at, at the situation today based upon the statements that were made by people attending the G7 summit in Hiroshima recently in Japan. And also a detailed look at the official statement that came from it. And they, they, they're quite different. So it's a really good article. I highly recommend reading it because it goes into the history of, the, of modern colonialism through essentially uh, debt. And so that moves on into areas like uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by um, John... What's his name? I forget for now. Anyway, it's a great article, so check that out. Uh, And then we move on to a couple of articles about uh, journalistic freedom and limitations on rights in the West. And the first is by Craig Murray, the former UK diplomat and whistleblower of the black site torture that was happening in Uzbekistan way back in 2006-ish. So it's a great piece, and he details the mistreatment of journalists as they're passing across the border, not in the US, which also happens. And we saw that with uh, people like Jacob Jacob Applebaum and Laura Poitras and other reporters around the Snowden revelations era in 2013, 14, 15. And now we're seeing it recently over the last couple of years, three journalists that Murray knows getting the same sort of treatment when they're crossing the British border. And one of them is Kit Clarenberg. Anyway, the article's titled, it was republished by Consortium News. Originally, it's at Craig Murray's own website called Craig Murray at craigmurray.org.uk. But the title... ...for the Consortium News Republication is Craig Murray, The Twilight of Freedom. So he's examining um, the erosion of human rights as displayed by the obvious mistreatment of journalists. They're, They're being hassled because they're publishing stuff that the state doesn't like. It's straight up obvious. The next piece is, of course, by Max Blumenthal, and uh, that was originally published at the Grey Zone, which he's the editor for. He set up the, the Grey Zone as a publishing organisation, and it is. Uh, so, yeah, I've got the link there, but it was also republished at Shearpost, which is, yeah, Bob Shear's latest. Publication And the title is British Police Detained Journalist Kit Clarenberg Interrogate Him About the Grey Zone by Max Blumenthal. And so Kit is one of the journalists which Craig Murray had referred to in the earlier piece, which includes two others. So they sort of related things. And then in another article, we move on to one of my favourite writers, Patrick Lawrence. And so this is a piece for Consortium News titled the war we're finally allowed to see. This is actually a double must-read. So the article by Lawrence is about him reviewing a wonderful piece of journalist, uh, journalism that was published in The the New Yorker, that, The New Yorker magazine. So this journalist and a uh, photographer go and... Embed with a Ukrainian brigade close to, I think they're just to the south of Bakhmud, something like that, in that area. And this happens about three months ago, something like that. And Lawrence is at pains to emphasize how wonderful the journalism is. How, and he quotes sections of it that have just beautifully written, and he is, you know, using superlative. Uh, acknowledgements of the the quality of the reporting and comparing uh, this journalist, whose name I forget, to people like uh, Martha Gilhorn and other you know major war reporters from you know his time as a journalist. So it's high, very very high praise, and the praise is equal equally there for the photographer who produces these really wonderful pieces. And the what. Lawrence is trying to get to is that we've all known, us peoples who have been following independent media, that the war in that's happening in the east of Ukraine is not the war that has been portrayed in Western media. And Lawrence's point is finally we're being allowed to see it. And he's in high praise of this journalist and the the photographer. And so it's a please read this article by Lawrence and then please read Uh, the article which he links to from The New Yorker. So, uh, yeah, a double must-read there. And I'll give you just an example of the sorts of writing that Lawrence uses in his article. Now, the name of the journalist uh, who published the piece at The New Yorker is uh, Mollison. And so here's one and a couple of sentences from the article by Lawrence on him. Mollison's intent surely was to do good work full stop and he has. But read in this larger context its publication looks to me the start of an effort to get all those people with blue and yellow flags on their front porches ready for a dose of the reality from which they have been shielded all these months. And another quote, if I am right the real war and the presented war will eventually be won. About time, I would say. Not that mainstream media are about to fess up to their sins and disgraces in their pitiful coverage of this war. They never will. Speaking of fessing up, I haven't actually read the next article, and I I will, but it's by one of my favourite authors, and that's Pepe Escobar. The title is The Sultan 2.0, that's Erdogan after his successful re-election for the, whatever it is, fifth term, something like that, uh, in Turkey. The Sultan 2.0 will heavily tilt east. And it's published at the cradle, see below for links for all of these things, of course. And so that'll be, you know, well-referenced and beautifully written, talking about how Erdogan is not going to ally himself with the West, or actually, I suspect, the East. Erdogan is a really wily fox, uh, and he manages to extract his pound of flesh as he plays both sides. Very clever politicians, and no doubt as corrupt as all hell as well. But, you know, he's, he's doing his best he can both for himself and for uh, Turkey, as far as I can see. There were some reviews that were done. Where did I see it? I can't remember. Uh, it was on RT, actually. They had a journalist locally and reviewing the last sort of 20 years in Turkey and looking at the ups and downs economically and so forth. And that again has done some good things for Turkey. Um, and he's angered uh, the West, certainly, and the East now and then too. Uh, I mean, I don't think Russia would have been happy about him supplying drones to Ukraine, so, But anyway, he continues, and so he's an interesting player. So that's the first of these three articles, which are essentially about BRICS and the SEO. so the uh, the rest of the world, as it were. So the second article is BRICS meeting in Cape Town, and this is uh, Gilbert Doctorow. It's not an article, it's an interview on Iran's press TV, and it's a 30-minute program in which uh, Gilbert offers his analysis of what's happened at the BRICS meeting in Cape Town and I can't really tell you because I haven't found out yet and I want to get this uh, weekend review out on time. So I will be watching that and Gilbert Doctorow's analysis is always good so I would recommend that if you're interested. No doubt it's, um, there's a few things happening and in fact there were because the Duran are next. The Alexes come in with Modi and Lula. Done dealing with Zelensky, BRICS new currency. And that is the news that we've all been waiting for. Now, I'm not sure if the new currency has yet been announced, but obviously there's been some progress on this. And the Russians and the Chinese and other um, key players in the SEO and BRICS have been working on this for many years now, actually. So you will recall that Lula, when he was campaigning for his most recent election as president of Brazil, he talked about the SUA, and that was to be a transnational currency to to be used for trade amongst nations in South Africa. Sorry, South America, correction. So that was meant to help the south american nations get away from using the u.s dollar as a trade currency between themselves and there's been a lot of work by russia and china to work out how to build a a currency and there's been speculation about is it's going to is it going to be based upon gold or gold and a collection of, of resources like gold and oil and so forth, and they've been working on this for a long time, and Pepe's been following that very carefully too. So if there has been a big announcement about this coming out of Cape Town, then expect an article by Pepe uh, on that, because an article by him a couple of months ago was exactly about this, uh, the work on the, the uh, current international currency to replace the dollar so uh, that is the summary of all the other stuff happening and now we move to the one article of the week which I'll go into a little bit more depth on and that was the one that nobody heard about so I'm listening to so I'm listening to judge Napolitano interviewing Ray McGovern and as I mentioned in the article, normally when I you know, hear people interviewing McGovern, I'd say, listen to McGovern, because he you know, knows what he's talking about and so forth. But I'm listening to this interview, and there's a moment within it wherein McGovern reads a quote, and it's a quote from a report by the Defense Intelligence Agency in the US to Congress, a mandated report to Congress. And he reads this statement by this former DIA official Which, and it was from two years ago, and it completely summarises the current situation in the conflict in Ukraine. I.e. it wasn't so much prescient as just very good analysis at the time. And there's this moment where Napolitano realises that all of this commentary that he's been getting from these ex-CIA people like McGovern and Schaefer and... Uh, Larry Johnson and Philip Giraldi and other people, ex-MI6 like Crook, who's coming in a moment, that my God, they, it's not that he's just entertaining their ideas, he finally realises, damn it, they're right. The entire US population has been essentially hoodwinked by the media along these just It's complete lies and bullshit. So he finally sort of gets it. And so it's a moment of realisation for him. And then in the second interview that I was listening to, which again is Judge Napolitano, and this time interviewing Alastair Crook, former MI6. And Crook is talking about what the US is trying to do to pivot to Asia. They want to sort of shut down the Ukraine conflict or make it a frozen conflict and sort of leave it there, leave it hanging, and then move over to uh, start a war with China. However, to do this, they've got a problem. They really need their, their NATO allies to back them up in doing this. And the point that Crook makes is that it's about narrative. It's about the talking points. And I've been reading caitlin johnson's work for a long time and i've understood what she's saying about the importance of narrative but it had never really sunk in for me and it sunk in for me in the same way as it did for Judge Bolotano when he was speaking with ray, uh, ray mcgovern while i'm listening to cook shit it's about the damn words and it's got nothing to do with reality or law or rights or anything it's just about words so my realization was Yes, this idea of narrative, but in the end, the narrative, it's just words. It's got nothing to do with anything else. It's just talking points. So I felt a bit dumb that it had taken me a while to realise this, but it was, it was, yeah, it was a nice moment for me. So that's the point of the article, you know, two realisations, one by Napolitano and the other by me. And with that, I will conclude this slightly long episode of Week in Review. Hope you're having a good one, wherever you are. I'm having a great time being back in Oz. Catch you next week.